You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I hope y'all had a good break. I had a tremendously good one. It was just good because I didn't have to do a bunch of podcasts over the break. As much as I love podcasting, I haven't had even one week where I didn't do multiple podcasts in years, and it's the first time I've done that, so it's really been a treat for me. Instead, I spent my time and I built a podcast table. You could probably find it on my Instagram or something, but I had a great time just working with wood and working by myself quietly. I did listen to a lot of podcasts, though, while I uh, was doing it. But um, I'm glad to be back now with the show. I had, today's conversation is fascinating and stimulating. Or to me, I should say it is to me. It may not be to you. But to me, it was a quite fascinating conversation that I had with Steve Holliday, who is a uh, teacher and a doctoral candidate at Texas Tech University. And he and a group of his friends, cohort, I don't think they call them friends. I don't know what his cohorts, colleagues, uh, did a study about selfies So there's this whole thing where people look pejoratively and talk negatively about selfies and say how it's narcissistic and it's so vain and it's so silly and stuff like that. But he kind of traced the origins of self-documenting photography and things like that and what its uses are all the way back to... You know, to the very beginning of photography itself, uh, this phenomenon has been going on, and it seems to serve some really important cultural and personal um, utilization. And so they've studied it, why people do it, and categorized it. And there's just, you know, tons of insights there that I thought were fascinating to talk about human history and human tendency and the future of humanity and this whole project we got going and Google Photos and the artificial intelligence that recognizes it for you and what it means to contribute to the pictorial history of the human race. I don't know. Just it's interesting stuff. So I hope you like this conversation as much as I did. Uh, I want to tell you that today's show is brought to you by Rockabilia. It's a place that you should get all the officially licensed posters and t-shirts and everything that you get for pop culture and music and bands. They've got a lot of really good stuff over there. If you got some walking around money after Christmas, which some of you do, Go buy a poster, T-shirt, things like that over there. This is a great place to do it, rockabilia.com, and you get a discount if you use my promo code, which is, of course, not of course, it's a little bit different. PC Break It Down is the code to use on Rockabilia's site. Um, And if you do that, you'll get a small discount. I think it's 15% off. Yeah, it is 15% off. Uh, Also... Come see Emory as cities burn on the road. And then if you're in Nashville, you can also see Derek Miner and King's Kaleidoscope along with Emory and as cities burn coming up in just a few weeks here, end of January. We're going to be in Nashville, Atlanta, Orlando, Tampa, Jacksonville, and Miami. These shows are going to go really well. It's going to be very fun. To do to play with that city's burn especially and be on the road with them. I think a lot of these shows will sell out, if not all of them, depending on the, how big the rooms are. I don't know, but I know tickets are going fast, so please get those tickets and come and see us. You can go to emorymusic.com for that. Uh, that's all I got. All right, let's get to the show. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh break it down. Break it down, oh break it down. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh, break it down. Let's make Yeah! You're 
how does it work? You're a, would you consider yourself an academic, first of all? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I, I come from a little bit of both. So I have a background in the industry. I worked in advertising and marketing for just over 10 years mm-hmm. before coming back to academics. Okay. So now I'm acad- I'm in academics, and so most of my research and, and my teaching is all in academia now. Mm-hmm. And so you're at Texas Tech. Yeah, Texas Tech University. And that's in uh, Lubbock, I'm, right? Yep, down, find it on a map, look mm-hmm. it up. No, I've, I've been there. I play in a, in a band and we travel and we played a club in Lubbock. It's a big square room, rock club. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, well, a lot of the music scene actually randomly knows where Lubbock is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got Buddy Holly and Mac Davis. And so you've got a big history of the really, the, the roots of music around here. So when Paul McCartney goes on concert, he makes sure that he tours through Lubbock and things. So. That's good. I guess, you know, there's certain drives when you're going and you got, it's a long way between Dallas and you know, Phoenix. But yeah, I do. That's, that's good. Um, so let's, how do, do you think your background in advertising, for instance, and, and that industry uh, fits in with your research here on selfies and studying this kind of digital media and stuff like that? What's your main focus? Yeah. So when I, when I began, when I came back to academics, um, I, I'm naturally interested in the visual communication. So there's a lot when it comes to photography and our visual communication that we have with people uh, that attracts me uh, research-wise and academic-wise and teaching-wise and curriculum-wise. And so I spend quite a bit of time um, looking at those different things. And so really my research splits in two ways. I mean, as you can see behind me and most of my office, if you could see in a 360, has to do with, I research uh, the visual messages that we use in advertising to children and families. Mm-hmm. Separate from that, um, but still under the visual communication, I'm really interested in this idea of the modern ways we communicate visually and socially. Uh, and so I some of my research is in selfies and some of it's just in why we communicate using selfies and how we communicate using selfies. Uh, a little bit of that photography goes into the history of photojournalism. So those images, when we think of like things like World War II or we think of September 11th, um, more and more as we move on from generation, there are very few people in this world that actually remember and saw certain events. And so being able to show that really our constructed memory comes through those fascinating visual images that we have with each oh, other. Interesting. Or a lot of the photography that has survived throughout time, if you go back to the early 18, mid-1800s, a lot of that photography that survived are portraits and self-portraits that, uh, that photographers took to promote their work and to be able to uh, perpetuate the memory of them through time. And so I'm fascinated, fascinated by a lot of, by that and how we turn that self-photography into a type of communication or memorialization. Hmm. That's interesting. So <laughs> there's a, a lot in common between Kim Kardashian and Walt Whitman. Yeah, and, right. Right? Right. They a lot come self-promoters from, from the get-go, right? you're saying. <laughs> Walt, Walt Whitman was just the original Kim Kardashian, right? right. <laughs> and I say that because when you were talking about that, <clears throat> it's, you know, you're right about I hadn't thought about it in that terms, but... uh Excuse me. You know, the Ken Burns Civil War documentary, are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's almost all still photographs, and it was in, and I think Walt Whitman's, that's why he popped in my head, because he's in that, um, he was in that time, and it was one of the first times when there were photographs, and so that's some of the earliest history that has a photography 
first major world event or American event where photography was around that you could document and do. And that's almost the whole documentary is still photos kind of slowly moving. And I know a decent amount about the Civil War and studied it in school, grew up in the South a lot and everything like that. And when I think about the Civil War, you're right. My, I wasn't there for it. And my constructed memories and processing of it is a lot. It's a lot of visual things from the photographs in that documentary. Yeah, when you think of like uh, the battlefields or you think of the hospitals or you think of the, the city streets, a lot of it comes from that surviving photography. And if we go back to the roots of photography, yeah, you talk Revolutionary War, like it's all written history. Right. Everything totally we know different. about it's a written history or something that's been reconstructed on the miniseries John Adams or something like that. Something that we can put together. And But then when the Crimean War came about, that was the first time we actually started documenting war visually and taking those photographs. And that's kind of gone through. Although a lot of those photographs from the Civil War you see or from the Crimean War, they're these still life images that people have. Um, took a long time to develop, a long time to set up a shot. You get into World War II and now we've we've advanced to a place where we can take action photos where Robert Coppa uh, and some of his contemporaries can actually get pictures of us invading Italy or invading Normandy uh, and those really visceral images that come through World War II. Mm -hmm. uh, and then as we just go along through Vietnam and even, I mean, that just perpetuates into we just want to document as something that's happening real. We want to document something that's happening in the moment. Mm -hmm. And that kind of leads to the selfies. I mean, we've been taking selfies. Honestly, if you want to go back, we've been doing selfies since Renaissance art was doing it. Um, there were Renaissance arts artists that were painting selfies. Mm -hmm. And then we get into photography and selfies and you've got these you've got these original these original they were the daguerreotype photographers that wanted to hey let me take a picture of myself so that i can promote that i can take a portrait of you uh then you go through even kind of clunky with these selfies but you have we have documented pictures of uh paul mccartney taking pictures of himself in a mirror and you can see the camera but we we've modernized it and modified this genre enough that we can actually take the pictures, we can review them instantly, we can retake them if we need to, to reshape or reform our image. And then we can use those to communicate in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And you, you mentioned Vietnam there. That was a real interesting, I mean, there's the, some of the most powerful images in photography that we'd gotten pretty good at photography by that point and had a lot of it and a lot of access. And then that makes me think now, um, and this is not quite related. I'm just on that train of thought. But we don't do as much of that anymore. The drive for photography has always been to get stuff and, and real stuff and deliver information. It's less about maybe vanity in that way. But we don't do as much war photography and stuff like that anymore. I don't think they allow the access. The governments don't allow us to do that as much anymore. Well, and we all want it like we all want it at the moment it's happening. So, yeah, mm -hmm. Vietnam, you have we started actually having film. That mm -hmm. we, that, I mean, there were film, there was film footage in World War II, but Vietnam, I mean, a lot more uh, visual moving. Um, now we, I mean, we can, we can actually go to, like, we can go to Instagram pages of like David Gutenfelder, the AP photographer. We can go to his, uh, to his Instagram page and instantaneously we can watch videos that he's taking and uploading, whether he's in North Korea mm -hmm. or the, or the Midwest of the United States as he's doing it and as he's seeing it, we can see. There's people taking selfies in the middle of uh, Hurricane Harvey when it was doing. I mean, they were risking their life, whether they were news reporters or whether they were just people that had to get out to show that, hey, oh, I'm yeah, in the that's middle a good of point. look at what's happening. But we've got to see it 
right when it's happening. So beyond, I mean, whether it's war or whether it's natural disasters or whether it's a wedding, like, like I want to see it now. I want to see it when it's happening. If you're uploading a picture a week later, um, doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, that's interesting. How did I want to ask a question, a couple of questions right in that last thing you said, but even before that, how did you get this focus? I always find it interesting with academic people, people do research, because I'm not exactly this way. I get into certain things and stay with them for a while, but not long, long term. How do you get, how do you even become sure you're so interested in a thing you'd want to do research in the real way, the scientific way, not just the read up about it and then, then, given an opinion about it. What makes you so sure that you want to dedicate, do a study, get the funding, see it through, write the paper, do all that work? How that, that that's always escapes me. Yeah, no, I, I think it takes a certain kind of person. And I didn't start as that kind of person. When I worked in the industry, sure, I do research on consumers uh, and consumer trends and uh, consumer insights and things like that. Uh, it was things that was pushed by business need and business agenda that we had. Uh, and so it was it was a little bit different of a process, but coming back to academics and sitting down and be like, what are my passions? What am I really interested in? Sure, I'm interested in advertising. That's why I worked in that industry for so long. Um, but what is it that really gets to me? And, th- and that's where I really started looking at some of these questions. I mean, it all starts with a research question. What is it that, that really fascinates you that you want to understand the psychology behind it? You mm-hmm. want to understand the behaviors behind it. Um, how people, how we as people can see, how, how we can see violence on television and have watch repeated violence on television. And then all of a sudden it grows a fear in us that we might be the next victim of that violent act, even though that act might be happening halfway around the world. Mm-hmm. Like what is it in us that, that breeds that kind of connection with the media and gets us fascinated and, and actually internally, psychologically, behaviorally affects the way we are as human beings. And so if you can grab onto a question, I think, that fascinates you that that way, then it's just a matter of going out and talking to people, um, surveying people, finding out why, what, how they actually consume media, how they actually, in this case, how they actually take selfies. Uh, in, the, in the study that we did at the beginning uh, that was published at the end of last year. This one was, what is it? We see people taking selfies all the time, and there's so much in the media that says that it's an act of vanity, mm-hmm. or it's a, uh, or it's uh, an act of narcissism. But I mean, I, I have a parents who are in their 60s, 70s, grandparents who are in their 80s, 90s that that are taking selfies. Is that? Is that vanity? Is that narcissism? So when I started reading stuff in popular culture and in popular media and then started seeing, well, people I know don't do it for that reason. And then if that's where it fascinates me and I've got to go and talk to people and figure out, well, what different kinds of people there are that are there that engage in these behaviors um, and have the ideas that this is the kind of image I want to take and how I want to communicate. That's Yeah, there's a, just a whole lot there. Very, very rich answer there. Um, what is uh, your field of expertise and, and degrees in what? So uh, right now I'm a doctoral candidate. Mm-hmm. I teach in, I teach mass communication. Specifically, I'm te- I teach advertising courses and I'm a PhD candidate. So I'm working on my doctoral degree. I have a master's degree in mass communication with a focus on advertising. And I'm working, I'm finishing up my dissertation right now. Uh, and then this next school year, so next August, I'll go and I'll become 
a professor or a faculty member at a university. So how deeply back do you go in? I mean, because you're getting into, you know, in the last answer you gave, a bunch of stuff comes up there for me and it's in the fields of psychology and evolutionary evolutionary biology, I think, there. Do you have to, you know, get caught up and do a lot of reading in those areas to, to tackle this problem here? I mean, just to I do mean, this you, one study. Yeah, you kind of do. And that's and that's kind of the the bucket that we fall into in mass communication. So if you're looking at journalism or you're looking at public relations or you're looking at electronic media or advertising, uh, a lot of the questions we have have to do with the behaviors or the thoughts that people have that lead to the way they consume these uh, or the way that media affects them. So to do that in mass communication, we're influenced by a lot of there's business and consumer behavior. Uh, there's a lot of psychology. There's a lot of sociology mm -hmm. and a lot of these theories that go into researching how we consume media. And so, yeah, when you're doing a research project, you have to spend a little bit of time in that psychology, re psychology literature and in that sociology literature and whatever it may be to understand what kind of theories guide our behaviors and our thoughts. I mean, if you just think about it, like what you said there about people being willing to document, first of all, war is obviously dangerous. And, you know, hurricanes, tornado chasers, I mean, people will risk, I mean, it's profound, really. People will take whatever technology is available and risk their lives to capture a flat visual image of something and just share it like way, you know, I, I imagine people did that as early as they possibly could. There must, what, there's something in a human that strives for, I'm trying to even get at the base of what that even would be, that you would be worth that kind of risk and that obsess, obsessive thinking or use of resources to what, what, what's the, what's the drive there coming out of people to do that? But it's clearly a very, very common motivation. Yeah. And that's in academics and in any kind of research that so we do behavioral research or th cognitive or thoughts, uh, research on thoughts is that idea of what are those different things? What are the different uh, motivators? What are the different uh, developmental things uh, that go into your decision to do the, to participate in that kind of activity? Uh, and that's, I mean, that's, Unfortunately, as media continues to change in advance, that's going to change in advance. As we're introduced to new kinds of media, as we engage with, as our world grows and we engage with people of different cultures, people of uh, different ethnicities, different geographically so different from us, like that's going to have to shift and that's going to have to change. Uh, and so that's why we do this research when it comes mm -hmm. to social, the social sciences is all about those social interactions and how do those social interactions uh, impact the way we exist as, as individuals and as collective societies. Because it's kind of like, it feels to me like it's working on the whole human project. Like this, whew, it gets it gets crazy because it feels to me like there's certain individuals in the, I don't know, in, in the population who are predisposed to care about this stuff and do it and do, like I said, the risky things or just the obsessive parts of it. And it must be, it seems like it's programmed in there for a purpose or a benefit or, or information sharing that makes the species stronger, so, you know, all in that kind of territory. And then as it gets going forward, I mean, you can just see, like, if you take a super zoomed out point of view, first of all, there's no different than people doing it back then and today, except for, I mean, there's specific things that make it different just incidentally, but it seems like the same drive is there for some of that. And you can see real quickly, if you zoom way ahead, 
Think of all the contributions of all the people, humans making decisions on what to document and why that's going to feed what is big data, um, you know, algorithmic learning, artificial intelligence things like there's we are choosing the data set of what is important for to do something transcendent even beyond what what we're doing at the moment every time you take a, a selfie just in the bathroom about makeup about your makeup that is contributing to the human superorganism and what humans value and where we're headed and what it means you know don't you think yeah yeah i mean and if you look at like if you think back 50 years. Like we've got some images that are really iconic images, but you don't have many images of your family sitting around a Christmas table or sitting around a menorah or whatever we happen to be doing uh, mm -hmm. in our culture and in our tradition. We don't have, we have birthdays, but we don't have the mundane. Uh, now, when we get into selfie culture, we, when we get into things like Snapchat and Instagram, uh, or just whatever kind of photography, we have images of everything. everything. I, I used to put together, once upon a time, I used to put together wedding videos for, for friends and really, really close family and things. Uh, and I'd ask them, hey, send me the pictures of you growing up. And it was really easy because they'd send me a couple pictures of, of them as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 12-year-old, 15-year-old, 18-year-old. Maybe like maybe they'd have 150 pictures or something that I'd have to pare down that were really memorable moments in their lives. I have a nine-year-old daughter. Like I've documented like thousands and thousands yeah. of pictures. Her wading through that will just be this continual loop of images of herself. And what that means for our future society is that we, we're gaining knowledge. Yes, right. 50 years from now, we won't be able to say, you know, I don't remember what, what it was like. I don't remember what my grandma looked like when she was putting on makeup in the bathroom. Probably have a picture of it somewhere yeah. that we can go and pull up and we can look at. Does that matter? I mean, that's the question that's left to us as as society and as research as 50 years from now. Is that just, uh, is that throwaway knowledge? Or does that actually contribute to who we are and make us a richer culture and a richer people and provide us more understanding of people that are different than us or our own ancestors even? I think it has to, I mean, I don't, I mean, it has to be significant and matter. I mean, even if you just think about the fact that these images are not, Local, almost all the ones we're talking about, everything, as soon as you take it, it goes to the cloud or it's on this. Like, I'm not worried about my phone getting destroyed. It's on Instagram. I have a hashtag. I don't have one, but I should have a hashtag for subcategories of things about my daughter or the, my job or whatever it is. And then that, that's, I don't know to say that that's permanent, but it's likely permanent and it's likely out of my hands and it's likely a contribution to some data set that will contribute to the design of. Our future society. Every time you take a selfishly motivated selfie, whatever that is, and I guess that's kind of what your research gets at is debunking the notion that selfies themselves are inherently narcissistic or bad or or something wrong with that. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like everybody in society engages in this. I mean, I shouldn't say I shouldn't make a blanket mm -hmm. statement like that, but the good majority of society engages in that, and it's kids as young as four years old that take their parents' phone and like to do uh, the filters on Snapchat. Oh, gosh. They go crazy with that stuff where it'll put bunny ears on your song. I can't believe how strong of a thing that is for children. It's amazing. Even children. It freaks me and then out. You've but. Got, then you've got your grandparents. Your grandparents will take that picture and send it to you or 
take a selfie of themselves opening a present uh, across the country that they want to thank you for giving to them this time of year, right? Uh, everybody engages in this. Um, and so it's it's just not feasible anymore to think that people do this for a purely narcissistic quality. What is the uh, What do we have for a working definition of selfie then? So a selfie is... I should look this up for you. I actually have the <laughs> study because we had to go. We had to go and figure out exactly how we construct this this definition. So let me find the actual definition we used. Okay, because I mean, you know, if you go all the way back, you say self portrait. Yep. You know, it could be you could paint a self portrait. That's that maybe that in some sense counts as a precursor to a selfie. Okay, so the ox. So the the selfie the de- the word selfie entered the English language actually through a 2002 Australian online forum. Uh, Oxford Dictionaries took that over the next 10 years. And it, but in 2013, Oxford Dictionaries had formally defined the word selfies to be a photograph that one has taken of oneself, typically one taken with a smartphone or webcam and uploaded to a social media website. Wow. So there's a He's involved in there. Yeah. It's no longer like if you look at it, the Paul McCartney iconic picture of him taking a picture in a mirror is no longer a selfie by today's definition. Mm-hmm. Uh, academics have further refined that and they define it as a self-portrait made with a smartphone's camera and immediately distributed and inscribed into a network. A selfie is an instant visual communication of where we are, what we're doing, who we think we are, and who we think is watching. See, the problem I have with that definition is there's the classic idea of, you know, when, when somebody says selfie with a pejorative context, they, they mean like a lady in a bathroom making puffy lips and she takes 90 in a row to get the perfect one. Now, I would argue that all of those 90, regardless of whether or not they were shared or not, were certainly selfies, though. Yeah. But yeah. this definition it, says they had to be uploaded and shared. And not only that, immediately to count as a selfie. Yeah. And, and that's the definite, I mean, we have like, we have self photographs mm-hmm. and we have selfies. Um, and even in the selfie world though, there are a number of people who have private Instagram accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, if I upload it and it's just for myself or I upload it somewhere on the cloud, um, arguably shareable, but it's a private account that I don't have anyone and I collect true. them so I can create portraits or I can give to clients or whatever it might be. Is that, is that a selfie? Um, if I'm just doing it for myself and no one's seeing it, even though it may be shareable by that definition that says uh, immediately distributed, described mm-hmm. into a network. Um, so by today's definition, it's becoming more and more you're taking and you're sharing a selfie. And that's really what our study looked at is why do you take and share selfies? Um, but there are even within that, there are some people who take and share selfies as that pure memorialization, which is the reason we've done self photographs for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we also have some people who back when we did self photographs that took it to build their brand image, which is still what those a lot of those people are doing today when they distribute their selfie immediately. So. Typically, was there there was a time before this, at least, or, or it is generally pejorative to talk about selfies, and there's people that say there's a selfie disease. Like, what the, what's the setup for this? Where, what are the thoughts on people that that have been saying selfies are a problem, and what where does that come from? Yeah, well, I think it comes from the same place in the media. I mean, I, I honestly haven't done my research in this specific niche, but in my observation and my reading of pop popular culture and research. Um, 
there are people that do things. Uh, there are people that fall off cliffs while taking selfies. I mean, I don't make light of that, but there are people who go have traffic, uh, tragic situations happen while engaging in these behaviors. Uh, there are people who go out in the middle of hurricanes and, and unfortunate things happen to them because they want to get that selfie so they can share it with their network, right? And so we see these things happen and we try to make these conclusions about, about those moments as blanket statements for what communication through self-photography or through a selfie is. Um, I mean, this is a, could be a bigger conversation not to go down a rabbit hole, but I mean, this is when we deal with public policy a lot and things too, a lot of times we look at uh, the lowest common denominator in our society, whether that's uh, this is a lot of times it's good things. I mean, when I was growing up, we didn't have seatbelts in our car. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we didn't. I, I I don't even know if I had to drive ride in a car seat or what or how safe the or how uh, what standards that car seat may have met back in the ni- early 1980s when I was when I was riding around in a car. Um, but because of certain events or certain situations that happened, those guided public policy. And so when we get into selfies, we see these uh, exemplars of of what a selfie is, and we take those and we run with those. But selfies can be boiled down to people are going to take millions and millions of selfies this holiday just to communicate back and forth with each other. Yeah. Snapchat was built around the idea that I may not want to build my brand or I may not want to memorialize anything because it's not going to last, but I want to add something visual to whatever I'm, however I'm communicating with you or with a small group of people. Mm-hmm. Well, so tell me about this research specifically. Uh, how did you do it? So in this research, this was exploratory research where we wanted to start out and just find out how did in, how do indiv- what motivates individuals to actually engage in this. And specifically, we were interested in taking and sharing selfies. Uh, so not just, we weren't just the people who take them and put them in a photo album um, or take them and put them on their artistic wall or something like that. But these are the people that are actually sharing in a network so that we could follow the, the identified definition that we've kind of operated under. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we wanted to see what motivates people to engage in that, especially since everyone seemed to say, like we were talking about before that it's, it's narcissistic. Um, And so we went out to across, across the media and we looked at, we went through discussion boards, through forums, through academic articles and academic research, through popular culture and seeing why did people say they did it? Why did people say they were doing this and engaging in this? And from that, we took all the statements we could find and put them all together in what became a survey. That we had people then take the survey and sort through each of these items and say, yeah, that one, that one is like me or that one's not like me. Uh, and w- the way we did the research actually forced them to internally and personally negotiate each one of these statements and figure out, you know, this one's more important than this one to me, or this reason is less important to me and, and go through those. I mean, some of these things, if I look back in here, just to see the list of statements again, some of these statements, um, uh, to tell my story because I have control of how I look because it captures exactly how I'm feeling to make me feel good looking, to document myself for myself so I can record memories, Um, to show people where I am, Uh, fun new ways to communicate. So all of these were different reasons that they had to negotiate personally. 
And and we as they negotiated those, we saw the data come in and we saw these trends or we saw the data come in. And then we said, well, what trends are there? Is everybody responding the same way and everyone and will it confirm that people really are just narcissistic? Yeah. How, um, was there a question on there? It's like uh, an option is just, well, just to show off because I'm badass. Yeah. I mean, how yeah, do you right, phrase exactly. that one? There, yeah, there were a number of those ones. Um, let me see if I can grab you some take of those. a selfie, too, if you look this good. You know that that answer. <laughs> um, when I think I look nice, mm-hmm. um, just to update my profile picture, um, to discover new sides of myself. Um, How about to try to get dates to attract a mate? Yeah, that would be a, a, a to, one. I'd have to look through all the the whole list we did, but a lot to impress people, mm-hmm, right? Um, because I'm impressed with the way I look to show off my looks. Yeah, there you go. So all these were all these are the different statements that are in there and finding these different statements. And then we took everyone's responses and we did uh, what we call a factor analysis. So we started pulling apart and saying, does everyone respond the same way? We quickly realized that no, not everyone responds the same way. Uh, there were well, when we came up with it, what, what actually surfaced was that there were three distinct groups of people. How many of people ended- did you survey? So in this one, and this this initial one was just exploratory. So what we did, it was about 50 individuals that we pulled together to identify how they responded. So, and we do this a lot in research to kind of get an idea for what's out there. Mm-hmm. And then we take that information and we can do it with groups of hundreds or we can do it with groups of thousands. Um, but this initial research was just, and we're working on follow-up research with it, but just finding out. Uh, what does exist, what trends exist. And so in this, with these individuals, we quickly realized that there were three different groups of people that surfaced. And the cool thing is that even though we didn't do it with hundreds or thousands of people, uh, over the the last year since it was published, um, I've had so many people come to me like, oh yeah, that's totally the kind of person I am. Uh, whether that's self-fulfilling or not is up, I guess, up in the air. But Having having those things validated where people keep coming and saying, yeah, that totally fits. That's it. And it's not necessarily something that's always flattering when they come. They're like, yeah, I totally, it's totally because I like the way I look, or I totally make sure I have the right image of myself before I before I share it with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, because I want it to be just perfect. Or some people are, you know what? Yeah, I don't I don't do it to even communicate. I just do it to memorialize myself. And so seeing that come about. But we did, we saw these three different trends of people come about. And in the analysis, as we did it, they pulled apart really, really distinctly, where we had this one group of people that just did it. I mean, not just, but their primary motivation was to communicate with people. So let me I, see if I understand the, the way that works in the research. You you would have all the questions, and they would all have a certain tag of factor analysis that would put them in a category that the person taking the survey wouldn't know, but there's a hidden tag, like these all point. Like, how, how do you decide... Do you not have to predefine the categories? I'm, I'm, that's maybe a technical question, but how do you know what emerges from just all the random? Yeah, well, uh, that's uh, that's the part we don't know. So there's all these statements, and they're throwing them together. And I, I mean, I can look at all the statements, and I kind of see that, like, oh, this one is definitely more something or other. Um, but what when it pulls together these three factors, it doesn't say, hey, these people all like to communicate. It pulls together and says, hey, these people have these five or six that significantly represent them. Okay, so they're more unique. Like the, the people that were answering this way all seem to answer this way and not at all this way. Versus, yeah. like they yeah. self, yeah. There's something in the math there that sorts that, that and it helps you you know, see that they're, they have multiple things that line up that are distinct from one another in motivation. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, there, there's this little group. There's this group of statements that these people were all really, all really strongly felt, felt really strongly about. There's this other group of statements that this group of people felt really negatively about. And so they're answering these questions that, like it says, it, it'll have a statement and then they'll say strongly agree, agree, not yeah. neutral, like that kind of survey. Yeah, basically like that. Yeah. What we, the, the method we actually did um, funnels them into like a, a pyramid where you only have like one item that really represents you. And that one is like the most strongly agree of all the 46 statements that we had. Uh, and then you could have more that were in the middle that were, yeah, kind of like me. And then you had just a few uh, to eventually just one that was absolutely not like me. Mm -hmm. And so it does. It pulls those apart just like that same kind of strongly disagree to strongly mm -hmm. agree. We can just do it with all 46 of the statements that we found across across media. Okay. Well, so let's go on with what, what are the three main things you found there? Yeah. So in these three main things, we found that there were individual oh, – so real quick, though, before with the data, what we ended up finding out was as these emerged, we saw these three trends, but we didn't know what they were. So that's where we had to go back and we had to take all the statements and lay them out. And we had to say, so what is it saying about these people? And this is where it becomes kind of qualitative. Us as researchers looked at those statements and says, how are we going to judge these people mm -hmm. based on based on what all of these statements that that showed significance? How are we going to what are we going to say about these people that that is honest about them. Um, and so the first group of people, as we looked at it, we noticed that all, most of these, most of the statements that these people were talking about had to do with communication. It didn't have to do with, it could be disposable communication. Uh, it could be, it could be communication that lasts on Instagram, but it's something that I wanted to send to you. Um, or something that I wanted to maybe in their minds that if they were sending their social network was a group a group text message or something. So it's something that was just for communication back and forth, primarily for communication back and forth. Mm -hmm. The second group of people are the autobiographers is what we termed them. And these are the people that the communication is important, but it's not an immediate gratification. It's not an immediate communication. It's a memorialization. So some of, some of what they're doing may be for, uh, they want to document it so someone can see it later. So someone can come across it later so that they have it for themselves. Archival, just, almost. Yeah, archival purposes. And we noticed that everybody had a little bit of this archival purpose. It's just that this was the group that that was really the strongest in. Um, archival for other people to see, but not now. And not not to build my brand and build mm -hmm. my name. That's like the classic person that when they first got a camera or goes on a vacation or something, they're just constantly doing You know, the guy that has, first has a Sony Handycam. You know, and yeah. it just has it on all the time. You're, like, you're never going to, what are you doing with this? I'm just capturing it. I'm getting the memories, man, but it's not, you're never going to watch it. A thousand yeah. hours on VHS somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, and going back to what we were talking about 50 years from now, somebody may sit down and watch that entire oh, thing. Yes. So that they can see as a document of that person's life. And it becomes a biography or an autobiography of that person's life. Mm -hmm. And that's why they did it. Oh, it could be. Yeah, you're right. Because like I have a friend that was like that when I, I play in a band and we travel all the time. And I had a friend in the early days of that that had a camera. He was just on it all the time. And we didn't have his technology to share it or do anything. It was like, Jordan, knock it off. You, you're never going to watch any of this footage. But now, 10 years later, he has all this amazing amazing footage of stuff that was unimportant, completely unimportant at the time. And now it's just such a wonderful window that, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of like a gamble. Like, yeah, this might be boring, but I'm going to see now. It's like, maybe it'll be worth something in the future. It's like an investment or something. Yeah. And, and the thing with selfies though is, I mean, people have done this, but now I have to be in it too. 
right? It's it's mm-hmm. it's chronicling me and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It's not me taking a picture of the Eiffel True. Tower. It's in front of the Eiffel Tower. It's not it's not me taking a video of a hurricane. It's me taking a video of myself in the hurricane, right? <laughs> yeah, that's like we used to get film. You'd send it off or whatever, and you get this big stack of stuff. Or if you're a kid and go through your parents' photo album or whatever, you just... I mean, th- we've always kind of known this. It's crystallized more now, but you flip, 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 flip. Yep, I'm in that one. Stop. Look mm-hmm. at it. It's just a, you know, there has to be something reflexive or narcissistic there, but not not in a disordered way, but something where you're drawn to yourself or even your aunt. Like if your aunt takes a picture of the Eiffel Tower, it's not a good f- photograph. It's not, she's not a skilled photographer, but if, if she and Aunt Bob are in it, well, that's kind of, in- then now it's, it's interesting now. It has a context that I can care about. I don't need to see their, composition of the Eiffel Tower from wherever it was they were standing. That's useless. But now yeah, selfies kind of fix that. The compositional elements right. that go into photography. So it's, yeah. Yeah. So then the third group is the one that becomes interesting. And that's the group. I mean, they're all interesting, but this is the one that is kind of confirms what we think of as society, but it doesn't have to be in a negative way, but these are what we term the self publicists. So these are people who are doing it to build some kind of a self image or mm-hmm. to build some kind of a brand. They want, they want to communicate it. Um, it's actually for your benefit. It's not so much for it's it's going to build them in a roundabout way, but it's for your benefit, for you to see it and for you to uh, to validate them as individuals. And so it does come back to them and helps them to to tailor and to build who they are. But these are the individuals who, like we were talking about, will take 10, 20 pictures before finding the right one that says, hey, this is a good representation of who I am. Uh, and it's because it's part of a bigger a bigger idea of this is more about my brand than just communicate with you. It's 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 about me and it's about a bigger piece of me than just the ongoing mundane parts of my life. And how is that, you know, how is that different than going all the way back from Kylie Jenner to Walt Whitman or whatever we were saying it is – is it really the same thing as reality star thing now feels like it's on another level like of self-promotion that that, that definitely yeah. turns people off a little bit though like what's the yeah. what's the difference there or is there no yeah. difference I mean you go back well and that's the way like I hate to judge these ones because these mm-hmm. ones aren't necessarily negative mm-hmm. uh, and the and that's like if you go back to if we go back before the actual selfies and we go back to self-photography and I I've mentioned this a couple times now, but we go back to the initial daguerreotype photographers um, back at the end of the Civil War, the be- end of the 1800s, beginning of 1900s. These people, uh, a lot of these professional photographers would take selfies so that they could turn around and show people, hey, I do have good compositional skills. I have the ability to make you look good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was building their image and their brand, their brand as a photographer. And so there are certain people that this still comes across. Sometimes I will. I'll take a selfie and and I don't like the way I look in this one. Or or it's not necessarily because I'm full of myself, but it's because I want to show who I am. I want to position myself as whether that's mm-hmm. a confident person or whether it's um, a knowledgeable person or a fun-loving person in certain situations. I just want it to be uh, representative of who I am as a brand. These are the people when we talk to them, talk to them and, and talk to them about, Hey, why did you put these things? These are people that said, I don't really like other people to take pictures of me. Uh, because oh, I don't have, yeah, yeah, you're right. I've heard, that's true. I look, right. I don't have control over the way I look 
Um, I don't have control over my double chin or making sure my best side is out or making sure I sucked my stomach or I tucked in my shirt right. Um, And you took that and you put it on social media and that's not me. That's not my image. That's not my brand. See, Uh, that that all confuses me a little bit because there's a lot to think about in there. I mean, everybody's aware of the brand stuff. I I know we've always kind of had, that's always existed, but I don't remember people in the '90s. The amount of people aware of the projection of their personal brand is not like it is today, though. Like now, your personal brand—it's just gosh—it makes me want to gag. Everybody talking about their brand all the time, but now that it's out there in the zeitgeist and stuff, it's kind of impossible. Not, it's like we've been told so much that we have a brand that now it's like, well, shit, I guess I have to deal with the fact that I have a brand because I'm just a human with an Instagram account, much less a podcaster or a public, you know, uh, what did you call it? You know, just a public figure or something. But it, it, now everybody, that's what makes people freak out a little bit. It's like, oh, everybody's, a, is everybody a public figure now kind of a thing? You know, and was it like that? Were the people that aware of it back a long time ago? Or is that, man, it's a good thing, I guess, just to be aware of it. Because like you said, we're always trying to position ourselves when we're at a party. I mean, whether or not somebody's got a camera or not, I guess. So we're just kind of all aware of it now. And I, I guess the images just weren't omnipresent mm-hmm. back then, right? I mean, like, if I, if I wanted to present my brand, it was me and you hanging out socially. It wasn't something that was captured uh, for time and all eternity, or as long as we have pictures, right? It wasn't. It wasn't something. If I wanted that kind of preservation, it, it was something you took a picture of me. Um, but that wasn't self-presentation, and the self-presentation mm-hmm. I did visually, it was probably in a, a a photo album that I showed you, or was hanging on a wall when you came to my house, or something of my family yeah. picture. That's the picture I want of my family, right? Yeah. Uh, so now, I mean, it is. It's an ever-present part of our life that we are. Um, constantly seeing who we are uh, and we're constantly aware of who we are. Some of us don't mind. Like, I don't mind if somebody takes a picture of me and I happen to be in the background of someone's picture. They're not always flattering, but uh, <laughs> I'm cool with that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, the ones I pick, take of myself, yeah, there might be some self-branding in that, making sure that the ones I have control over are. But I think there's different levels of how comfortable we are with our own brand and how comfortable we are with our brand when it's not us taking that image. Yeah, that's a good point because, I mean, there's so many people that, in, especially in the past, if you pull out a camera, they say, don't take my picture, you know, somebody in your family or one of your friends, don't take my picture. And, you know, they're worried about how they, you know, come across, like you said, double chin or weird hair day or whatever it's going to be. And now it's, it's like with the technology that we have, it's kind of exciting but it's also like a runaway situation where everybody's aware of their branding, the projection, and they have the technology to do it and get it right. So you have these people that would have avoided cameras like crazy, and now they can spend 10 minutes with the portrait effect in their iPhone X and get it right. And now they can now they feel like they can participate, but it's also perpetuating this whole art form, like this parabolic increase in selfie technique. Just the interest in photography is just stunning the amount of people that spend thousands of dollars on cameras now and are good at it. It's just a, it's just like a, a runaway phenomenon. It seems like. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's this opportunity for us to be engaged in the narrative and mm-hmm. that narrative includes us. Um, I mean, I think some of those people are probably aware, but the one that always blows my mind is the algorithms on Facebook. Whenever I go into my phone or on Facebook, it'll say, Hey, is this a picture of you? Do you want to tag you in it? Mm-hmm. Um, how many of how many people are we not connected with in social media where we're in the background of someone's beach photo or oh we're in the gosh, background of yeah. someone's restaurant photo? And just because we're not connected with them, that algorithm's not gonna ask, hey, is this is this Steve Holiday? 
or is this Matt Carter, right? Is yeah. this, um, if we could have access to that and see all the pictures that we're really in in this world, I think it would blow our minds. Oh <laughs> yeah, it's, it's terrifying. It, it is. I mean, the, the, the AI on those things is so good on Google Photos. It can recognize, oh gosh, it's just intimidating to even think about it, where it is now compared to a few years ago. They say it couldn't recognize a cat or a dog. And now yeah. it just knows my daughter, everybody all the time organized for me. Like, do you want to see pictures of this person that I used to know? There, There's a bunch of them in my photo roll that I didn't even know I had pictures of them. And I've got seven, it turns out, of some person that I don't even care about. But I know. And Google says, yeah, this person, they're you know, they're part of your life, right? And I go, yeah, I guess they are. You know, it's just insane. My pictures is kind yeah. of creepy. Yeah. And it, and it's, uh, I mean, it's this, the whole thing must tie into the, uh, the need for you know, legacy or something deep. Like, who am yeah. I? Who was I? Like, deep stuff. It just in this fingertip of the selfie and get your lips to poke out. But it's really about your whole legacy and who you are and your contribution to the the future of humanity. <laughs> you could get really big thinking about all that. It's, that's funny. I, I mean, if we had selfies for like abraham lincoln or martin luther king to take pictures of themselves would we would we know a different person oh 100 percent. who we remember 100 if, if martin luther king jr was taking selfies um and sharing and that was the documented representation we had or jfk or even abraham lincoln like who is that person like, oh who you would know that so much if, if you had tens of thousands of selfies or pictures from other people that they were in you'd know what kind of food Abraham Lincoln like maybe you'd have a bunch of stuff about his behaviors you'd probably catch weird stuff personality quirks or be a diagnosed diseases he may have had there'd be so much information you could go back well, about see the angle of him that he wanted people to see mm -hmm. maybe maybe his own personal mm -hmm. brand like that's not a personal brand that we see of any of those people right it's it's the brand that journalists took it's the brand True. that the photographers took like if oh, it, yeah. I mean, so much of today is about us documenting, us showing the right side of ourselves. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, because we decide now, like, you'd have to be, like, uh, Obama has this, that photographer guy followed him around and got all this stuff, but even that was, like, under the, it was a calculated way to present that kind of a thing versus angle in of general. Him, right? Yeah, and just for misinformation alone, I will have contributed more uh, pictures of me than all the other people combined, probably, so I will be the, the ones that I chose will be dominant in, history if you come back yeah. a thousand years you you know you'll see the pictures everybody took of me but i'll probably be more of me taking of myself than anybody else so i can kind of flood the market there <laughs> right right yeah, that's and weird. that's, that's no the picture you will see is the one you wanted mm -hmm. you wanted then yeah uh, another thing before before i don't know how much time we have but before we run away um one thing with when it comes to selfies though and this is kind of where my research is going is that even if we don't take selfies we are there's we are incredibly attracted to selfies. Mm -hmm. There's something about that outstretched arm, about being in close proximity to the camera like you and I are right now, um, and and me reaching out and that arm bringing you into me to, mm -hmm. to to see me. And especially if I'm looking out at that camera and I'm connecting with you through my eyes, uh, there's something that there's something there that brings us in and holds our attention captive that makes us intensely personally connected with you, even though you're on the other side of a camera, even though you're not physically mm -hmm. in. And so uh, there's a lot of research being developed out there that looks at like the attention that grabs and the emotional connection that relates us to each other. And so there's something to the more and more we become a selfie saturated society, 
perhaps the more and more socially connected and personally connected we feel to the people on the other side of those images. Well, see, that's a, a thing I'm kind of interested in there because I, yeah, we got a weird thing going on right now with the technology and there's real deep stuff to learn about humans, which is what you're doing, which is exciting. There's stuff, latent qualities about humans that are both good and bad that we don't, we do not understand yet. And kind of the research you're doing is getting, like, why does that matter? Why does the arm in the picture draw you in? What about where you're looking? And, you know, what we're going to have to design webcams and all this stuff for the future. So it's going to, we need to tap into what we're built for and why we are the way that we are. But we've, it's important because we've spent, all these, I guess, tens of thousands and millions of years developing communication, including body language, visual stuff, eye contact. These things are just the most important developments in humans. It's what enables part of what enables us to dominate the globe is that some of this communication stuff and information and knowledge sharing and why and what works and who you assess and assessing threats, all this stuff. And we have more technology than ever. And there's a giant gulf there because now most communication, actual communication that happens is freaking text-based stuff. And it drives me crazy. I'm a talker. I'm a, uh, I use inflection and tone. That's just still in the audio part. And then body language is huge if I'm talking to somebody. I cannot tell you how many times I'm on some email chain with going back and forth with something about business. And we go back and we're on the fifth email a week and a half into the thing. And I say, can the person just call me on the damn phone. I'll know in five minutes everything I need to know about the venue we're trying to book and what it looks like. And if we can do what I'm intending to do, will the, will the person just call me? This will take five minutes, not five, six yeah. emails over two weeks. And and everything you do is you live your whole life in text messages. And yeah. And so, you know, on the other side of it, there's, of course, this visual stuff that's happening too, but they're not connected really right now. It's either you share a still photograph, which we're getting, it's good, it's progress in a way, but it's also backwards. Both both the visual and language, are, we've sacrificed, for co connectivity, we've sacrificed uh, the, you know, the in, the full, the integrated experience of communication. And it's, uh, it's a huge problem, I think. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. And we, we've, there's certain kinds of communication we've gone, we've made it much more stilt and difficult. Like I, I mean, even in personal communications, I don't know how many text messages I've been in with my family or with friends um, that's not business related where I misinterpret what they're saying. Uh, totally. The exciting thing of adding the visual of a selfie, like through something like um, Snapchat or through my, just my text messaging is that I can then put an expression with it. That's not just an emoji that someone else has prepared for me. So weird. I can give you something or, uh, or I can even FaceTime with you now. FaceTime is really um, selfie and video, right? I mm -hmm. mean, we're, we're still holding it at arm's length. We're still talking with each other. Uh, we're still in that intimate perspective, intimate distance from each other. But now you and I, we can see each other's expressions. Yeah. It's not uh, us uh, emailing back and forth to each other, having to ask for clarifications about certain things or try to interpret each other's tone about it. You can just know so much about a person and Gosh, 10 seconds, if you can see them and hear them. 10 seconds is all it takes yeah. for me to know almost everything I need to know. And then there's a few details after that. Is That's uh, that's what most communication is like. And I am so, for, I like podcasting for that reason, because you get to actually hear, hear where the person is coming from. Right. I mean, I like yeah. you much better now than the guy that wrote the abstract of that research paper. You're right. a real person <laughs> now. I mean, 
I've there's I've gone back to that article a number of times. I read that. I'm like, man, I tried to break it down on a not that a it was bad. <laughs> written, some of it's written for just academics, right? Yeah. And so it's, but but it seems like we felt that urge to go back, and we want to as much as some people want to talk negatively about selfies. Like it's given us the opportunity to get back to that. Mm-hmm. Like when we wrote long form notes to each other, or if you remember back to the late 1990s, we wrote these long form emails True. to each other. Um, and then we started getting text messaging and we could still, we're still just textually communicating with each other. We're yeah. not visually communicating with each other because there's some geographic distance separating us, whether that's across town, a couple offices over or whatever it is. There's something separating us that we feel we have to communicate that way. And so bringing the selfie into it allowed us initially to have that still photo that extended that communication, that allowed us to add something visual to the textual to make it more dynamic. And now we've started to go to things like Snapchat and FaceTime and uh, Skype and things like that that allow us over these last 10 years that allow us to really add more of the vocals to it, some more of the tone yeah. that we can make it even more dynamic. But it's it's all because we were fed up with not with misinterpreting each other's tone and we're said, well, dang it, you know what? I'm going to add something visual to that. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's still, it's it's like we're reintegrating all of the stuff slowly, but we started by fracturing. And, you know, people don't want to talk on the, everybody tells me, I don't want to talk on the phone and just text. I mean, there's a conven- there's a trade-off there, at least. I don't think it's a good one when you get into stuff like Twitter and nuance and detail and arguments and sharing of complicated ideas, this is not good. This is a bad use of the trade-off at that point. It's easier to be on your couch and say, yeah, bring me Chinese food. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But yeah. for more complicated stuff, it's not not going to work. So we've got to figure out how to create it and incentivize people to utilize the full spectrum of communication yeah. if we're going to move forward as a species the way I see it. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm the kind of person, yeah, I don't love talking on a telephone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I am not the kind of person that says, well, but I don't want you to come to my house and visit with me in person either. I like the visual communication. Yeah. Um, and I like adding that to that. And we've got, we are getting back to that. We have to get back to that, I think. Well, just um, looking also, at it. But also when it comes to like consumer behaviors, like like when you were talking big data earlier, advertisers and marketers going back to that's where I bridge the selfies with my advertising is that there are advertisers are aware of this. Yeah. Uh, and I sent this over to you before the show, but there are tons of advertisements. We see them whether it's commercials or print ads where, where advertisers are aware how intimately personal and how attention grabbing selfies are. And so we've started to incorporate that into those selfies. And that's where the next step of research and my research is kind of going is, is how does that really impact us? How does that impact our consumer behaviors, our consumer thoughts, our consumer considerations um, by, by capitalizing on that form of communication? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. so what's the end goal of your research? Is it just to do it in and of itself or is it to help an advertising community? Like what's the, like, uh, what, what is your long-term motivation keeps you, keeps you going on this kind of thing? Yeah. That, Learn that's a bunch a and then question. go make a bunch of money in advertising again once you master yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, I mean, my, my end goal, um, like I like researching. I, I, I'm solidly in academics. Uh, I see my future, helping out in the industry professionally and bringing my knowledge back and then bringing my academic research knowledge back to the industry. Uh, but that's the thing, like with academic research, we've got to be able to get it in the hands of those that it matters to, whether that's me 
whether that's us communicating with the advertising industry saying, yes, this is working, capitalize on this and keep doing this, um, no matter how we feel as consumers about that, or whether that's communicating through consumer uh, consumer methods, like being able to 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 write on a blog or to visit with parents or to speak to parents or the everyday consumer about, hey, this is what's actually happening. Are you aware that this is how you're responding to it? So we can become more literate. I think the end game is to get us to be more literate in the end where it's like, hey, I know what's happening. And now I'm an informed consumer that is like, do I want that to affect me? Do I want to have that product or do I want... Do I want that advertisement to affect me in that way? Am I okay with that? Then cool, I'm okay with that. If I'm not, then let me stop. Let me have the capacity and capability to stop and say, yeah, okay, I'm ready to move on to the next advertisement. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, especially with advertising being as of, I don't know, it's a, it's a very important industry and topic and has its own future and it's a whole other conversation that we could do another time um just you know yeah. it's it's prominence in social media and the way facebook and twitter everything work there's so much of advertisements driving everything so it's i'm glad to hear the research is going in there i'm really looking forward to you know i, I really do look just forward to understanding more deeply what humans are like and how they work i just that's just kind of the way i like so i i was thrilled about your research just to get you know to take a real look at it and try to get some kind of real answers and analyze stuff even though it's exploratory research and stuff like that i'm glad to hear you're going to keep on going with it so thank you very much for your time today absolutely yeah that's the way we're going and i think that's the way we need to go society whether that's cautionary mm -hmm. um and that's in the social sphere or in the consumer sphere or whether it's really pro-social whether it's helping us to understand that you know i can use these type of messaging and this type of communication in something like an anti-bullying campaign mm -hmm. or in something that really helps people to stop and hear these messages that are vitally important to our development as a society yeah, absolutely. So. We're going to have to figure out what's wrong with us to fix it and what's right with us to do more of all that. So great. I appreciate your time today. I've enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Good talking to you. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. 
Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.